0: repeatedly, the New Testament uses as an illustration of Christianity the activity of running, or running a race. We can find it in numerous verses, one of which would be found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 24, where the Scripture says, "...do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things." Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. And we can look at numerous other passages that relate Christianity to running. For about the past seven years, I have been an on-again, off-again runner which means whenever my pants don't fit, I start running, and once they get comfortable again, I typically stop. But having done that and gotten involved in running, I've learned why the Bible uses running as an illustration for Christianity. And so this morning, I just want to share with you some lessons that I've learned from running. Some things that I hope will help us as we strive to be stronger Christians, as we strive to live for God and become better at what we're doing Christ. The first thing that I have learned from running is I've got to have proper goals. The fact is, I am never ever going to run as an end unto itself. There are some people who claim that running is fun and exhilarating. To say the least, I do not. In fact, I can't stand it. I hate it. I'm not ever going to run just because I want to run. If I'm going to run, it's going to have to be because I'm going to have some proper goals. But I've also learned that it can't just be any goals. They've got to be goals that are actually important, that will really drive me to get up early and get out and run around, especially here in Tennessee where there's all these hills. There's a lot easier in Texas where there weren't any. For instance, I don't particularly like being a fat guy. But, losing weight really isn't all that important to me. And so if all I'm thinking about is losing weight and trimming up, I don't run very much. Because that goal's not all that important to me in the big scheme of things. But when I have a truly important goal, when I'm focusing on things like my family, and I think about the fact that I need to be healthy in order to be there to raise my kids, in order to be there to take care of my wife, in order to be there to spread the gospel and do the work of the Lord. When I am focused on those things and I have proper goals that are based out of things that are truly important, that's when I do my best. And I've learned that that's a lot like being a Christian for me. When I don't have important goals, I don't do very well at serving the Lord. When I'm thinking about things like trying to maintain appearances, when I'm just wanting to look good for you or for the elders, when all I'm thinking about is wanting to keep my job as a preacher, I find it hard to be motivated to do the work that it takes to be a faithful child of God. I find it hard to do the prayer and the study. I find it hard to do the inviting, the invitating, giving invitations or inviting folks to come join us for worship. But when I am focused on truly important goals, when I'm on a spiritual high and I'm thinking about things from a true biblical perspective, it all becomes a lot easier and I find the motivation. When I'm thinking about what God has done for me and what Jesus has done for me, and I'm focused on wanting to return some of that to them, and I think about John chapter 15 and verse 8, In John 15 and verse 8 where Jesus said, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. When I'm focused on wanting to glorify God and thinking about Him and not me, that's when I do the best. Philippians chapter 3. When my mind is focused on heaven and not on things down here on earth, but when I'm thinking about the goal and receiving the upward prize of the call, then I find the motivation to do the things that I need to do in order to grow and serve the Lord. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12, Paul said, "...not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus." Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we've already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. What kept Paul walking by the rule, being of the same mind? He had a proper goal. He was thinking about heaven. And when I have that proper goal, I do a lot better when I'm thinking about what's truly important. The second thing that I've learned from running is that companions help. I always find it easier to keep my running up if I at least have somebody who's going to ask me, hey, did you run today? I find it easier to get up early to go run if I'm going to be keeping an appointment with somebody who's going to go running with me. And I find it easier to keep a harder pace at running if somebody is there with me who's better at it than I am. That's just the fact. Companions help. I think about my own spiritual life and I look at the darkest days in my spiritual life, my freshman year of college. What was the number one problem I had? The number one problem that I had it was my companions. My best friends were all in the world and even my Christian friends in the church were not all that spiritual. And so neither was I. The turnaround came for me when at the end of my freshman year I moved in with an older couple from church invited me into their home. I got a job working with a Christian and my best friend became the preacher at a church across town. Things changed for me because companions help. Just as with running, So it is with our spiritual lives. Our companions help. Look in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning at verse 9. The preacher in Ecclesiastes said, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. What's the preacher telling us? He's telling us, have companions. Have somebody that's going to help you on the way. Because if you fall, they'll pick you up. If you need comfort, they'll be able to provide it. If you need strength, they'll be able to give it to you. Two are better than one. And three are better than two. Have companions. But see, it also works the other way. If we don't have the right companions, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33 says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good morals. Whenever Paul says, Don't be deceived. You can be assured... That this is one of those areas where we often deceive ourselves. We often think, I am the exception. I can have all manner of companions, no matter how worldly or ungodly they are, and I will overcome it. Paul says, don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good morals. I'll tell you. You can tell what kind of Christian a person is away from this building when you find out who we're hanging out with. We need to have good companions. And I know that I am risking upsetting folks, especially if you're still in school or parents of those who are still in school. Because the fact is what I'm telling you is your best friends better be Christians and they better be good Christians. Because otherwise they'll bring you down. And I know that we need to spend time with non-Christians, otherwise we'll never convert them. But brethren, we need to keep in mind that our relationships better be conducted on God's terms, not on our friends' terms. Companions help, but they better be the right companions. The third thing I've learned is that while companions help, I've got to have self-discipline. I've learned that in running that even when I have running partners, that sometimes they're not always as disciplined as they ought to be. I have learned at times that sometimes they're disciplined in other areas means today they can't run with me. Whose decision is it going to be to run? Mine. Who's going to make me get out of bed and go hit the pavement? Me. I have to have self-discipline. I'm the one that makes the decision. And it's the same with spirituality. When I look back at those days that I mentioned a few minutes ago when I was in college, whose fault was it that I wasn't spiritual? Was it my friend's fault? No, it wasn't. It was my fault. Who was to blame? I was. Because I wasn't making the decision to serve the Lord. We've got to have our own discipline. We've got to be committed ourselves to Christ. It's great to have friends that help us, but they're not always going to be there. And sometimes they'll even actively work against us. So who's got to have the commitment to serve the Lord? I do. I've got to have self-discipline to get up and do the work the Lord has for me. We can't allow our companions to dictate our lives, especially the worldly ones. We look in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1, Peter said, Therefore, 1 Peter 4, 1, Since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you don't run with them in the same flood of dissipation speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead." Peter says, we've already spent enough time doing what's wrong. It's now time that we arm ourselves with the mind of Christ so that even when we suffer, we're willing to endure with self-discipline and not allow those who are around us to dictate the way we're going to act and behave. Peter, again, in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6, pointed out that as we add to our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge, we're to add to our knowledge... Self-control. I'm supposed to control myself. It's my decision how I behave. It's my decision what I do every day of my life. And I've got to have self-discipline if I'm going to run the race for Christ. Further, I've learned that running is not just a compartment in my life. Running... And anybody who's done it for any length of time will understand exactly what I'm talking about. It's actually a part of the entire dynamic of my life. It's not just something I do, and whether I do it or not doesn't affect me. It affects everything in my life. I mean, here's how it works. If I am running properly, everything gets better. My life at home is better. You know why? Because I know I'm doing something that's going to allow me to be there longer. My life with my work gets better. Why? Because I know I'm doing something that gives me more strength and more stamina and helps me stick around longer to do the work. I've become better at eating. I mean, the fact is, if I get up in the morning and I run, guess what I don't want to do for lunch? I don't want to eat hamburger and french fries and ruin it. So I start eating more healthfully. I start doing better, amazingly, with my finances. You know why? Because when I'm disciplined in one area, that causes me to think about discipline in other areas. You see, it's not a compartment. It all goes together and it all comes together to form my life. And here's the other thing I've noticed. If I start slacking up in any of the other areas, it'll affect my running. Let's just say, for instance, that I start slacking off on the financial realm. Guess what will happen? I start getting depressed and when it's time to get up in the morning and go run, guess what I absolutely don't want to do? Get out of bed. You see, it's a part of the entire dynamic. It all goes together. It's not just one little thing in my life. And that's exactly the way it is with our spirituality and our Christianity. In fact, our Christianity should not just be a part of the entire dynamic of our life. In fact, our spirituality is the governing dynamic of our life. It's not a compartment. It's not something we do on Sundays and Wednesday nights. It's not something that I do when I come into the office, but then I get home and I do whatever I want. Spirituality and Christianity governs our lives. Haven't you noticed that in your life? Oh, I think about how it affects me. When I'm doing well, when I'm doing well and I'm getting up and I'm studying and I'm praying and I'm getting all my work done as a preacher, my life is just better. I do better at home. Why? Why? Well, because I'm reading about how I'm supposed to behave. Marita loves it when I'm doing well in my Bible reading and prayer because I'm a much better husband then. My relationship with my kids improves. My relationship with people improves because I'm learning about how I'm supposed to be behaving. It all just is an upward spiral. How I deal with money and finances improves when I'm doing what God wants me to do spiritually. It affects everything. But I've also found when I start allowing things to slip, In other aspects of my life, my spirituality starts to slip. Again, let's say I go a couple weeks without balancing the checkbook, and guess what's going to happen when that occurs? I get that first check that comes back in the mail that says it bounced. And now what happens? Now I'm worried about financial things. When it comes time to pray, I don't feel like it. When it comes time to study, I don't feel like it. In fact, amazingly enough, I get a little bit upset at God because He allowed that check to bounce. You ever had those kind of feelings? Because we allow things to slip. It all goes together. Our entire lives. We can't separate it off as a compartment. Think about what it says in Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12. Beginning at verse 1, Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I'm supposed to be a living sacrifice. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. My spirituality, my Christianity is not just a compartment. It is our life. And governs everything we do. And so we need to work at it. Further, I've learned that the more I run, the easier it is to run, and the less I run, the easier it is not to run. A friend of mine, a running partner once, subscribed me to a magazine called Runner's World. And I read in there one time that those who are just getting started running are in a very precarious situation. They're becoming more and more active, but it's very easy for them to lose that habit and become inactive again. However, they assured me that if I continue running habitually, there'll get to be a point where it's just as easy for me to go out to run as it is for me to plop down in front of the TV. I haven't hit that day yet. I'm looking forward to that day. I don't imagine it ever coming. But they say that's the way it works. I have learned this, though. That if I ran yesterday, it's a lot easier for me to get up today and run. But if I didn't run yesterday, if I let myself off the hook, of course, yesterday, what did I say? I'll do it tomorrow. But today, what am I saying? I missed yesterday and it wasn't that bad. It's easier not to. And that's the exact way it is Spiritually. I know that when I face a battle and I overcome, when I face a temptation and I overcome, when I get up and read my Bible and I pray like I'm supposed to, it's a lot easier the next day to do it again. But if I ever let myself off the hook, if I ever decide not to do it today, if I ever decide to go ahead and give in to temptation, guess what happens tomorrow? It's just a lot easier to go ahead and just give in again. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 12, Paul said, Romans 6, 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that, you are that one slave whom you obey. Whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. What is this passage telling us? This passage is telling us when I submit myself to obedience, guess what? That starts to take over. And it's easier to obey because it becomes a habit in my life. But when I submit myself to sin, guess what? Sin begins to take over and sin becomes the habit and it becomes easier and easier to sin. The wages of that, of course, is death. It's easier. Just go ahead and start now. Doing what's right because next time it'll be easier and next time it'll be easier. I know it's a struggle. I know it's a battle. But you might as well start now because if you don't start, it only gets harder. But the more we serve God, the easier it is to serve God. Along those same lines, I've also learned that I've got to start where I am and grow from there. I remember about seven years ago, the first time I got out and ran with my friend Max Dawson since my college years. We went to the high school track. Now keep in mind, I was 24, Max was 53. And I was certain that surely I could keep up with some guy who's at least twice my age. I don't know how many miles he ran that day, but I made it one lap around the track and that was it. But you know what? The next day, I made two laps. And a couple days later, I made three laps. And a couple days later, I made four laps, which was an entire mile. And then a couple days later, I ran that whole mile in under 11 minutes. And then in under ten minutes. And then in under nine minutes. And I have even, amazingly enough, run in under eight minutes. Which, of course, for those of you who are real runners, you'd think, well, what's the big deal about that? But for me, it was a big deal. You see, I'm not a marathoner. I wasn't then. And it would have been insane for me to believe that I could get out and be a marathoner. What was the difference between me and Max? Was it because of our age? Of course not. The fact is, I was fat and unhealthy. And he was trim and healthy. And so he did a lot better than I did. But what I learned is I have to begin where I am and I have to grow. I'm not a marathoner even to this day. As I remind myself, every time I take an extended break and get back into running. I've never gotten back to only being able to make a quarter mile. But even now, I don't think I could run an eight-minute mile. But I tell you what, on Friday, I got out and ran for 40 minutes. Why? Because I've grown. And I'm better at it. It's the same thing with spirituality. We've got to start where we are and we grow from there. I'm not saying that we sit back and say, oh, I'm a young Christian so I don't have to worry about all kinds of sins. I'm allowed to do those things. I'm just growing. Rather, I'm just thinking about some of the disciplines that we've got to have in order to be strong Christians. I can imagine how overwhelming it is when Christians hear preachers talk about studying your Bible all the time and and praying every day and all these habits and inviting folks three times a week. And because what happens is we conjure up in our minds all the examples we've heard about those prayer warriors that pray for four hours every day. And those guys who spend five hours a day just reading their Bible and studying and concordances open and we just think to ourselves, I can't ever do that. And we're probably overwhelmed when we think about those things because the fact is we can't go from being spiritually fat and unhealthy to being Christian marathoners the next day. We've got to start where we are and move from there. Maybe you can't read an entire Bible book in one sitting, but can you read a chapter? Can you read half a chapter? Maybe you can't pray for 30 minutes every day, but can you pray for three minutes every day? Start where you are and grow. You don't have to be the Apostle Paul today. Remember what God calls us to is not to be perfect today. He just wants us to be better today than we were yesterday. And work today so that we'll be better tomorrow than we are today. If you look in 2 Peter chapter 1 beginning at verse 5, what we find out is that Christianity is about growth. 2 Peter chapter 1 beginning at verse 5. Peter said, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and are increasing, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's that talking about? That's talking about growing, adding more and more, and increasing in all of those. Start where you are and grow from there. I've also learned that I can endure more than I think. When I get out and I set a goal for running, there are lots of days when I'm out on the road and I think to myself, I cannot go another step. I know I'm supposed to run for ten more minutes, but no way. I just can't do it. I'm going up this hill and it's not going to work. My thighs are hurting. My throat is dry. I'm having trouble breathing. i probably got to Spasm in my side or a cramp going on because I haven't been breathing properly and I just think I can't make it. But what I've learned is that unless I've had a physical injury, I've always made it. I've always made it to the end. Because I can endure more than I think. I can keep going. And I've learned that's the same with Christianity. Brethren, I've had days where I just thought I don't want to try anymore. I've had days where I think "I, I can't go on like this anymore. God wants too much of me. I can't keep this up. I can't handle the temptation. I've submitted too many times. What's the point in trying? But I've learned that I can endure more than I think. And that's not because I'm some really strong person. That's because of God's grace. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13 In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so just like when I'm running, I can say to myself, look, you can do anything for another five minutes. Every day I can say to myself, I can do this for another day. I can fight this temptation another day. I can keep up these disciplines another day. And I can be comforted because I've also learned that God will not allow me to be tempted beyond what I'm able. So if I'm facing the temptation, I know that God is saying, you can handle this. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. No matter what I'm facing, that means God is saying, we can handle this. You can do more than you think. Just keep on leaning on Me. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You Remember what James said in James chapter 1? In James chapter 1, beginning at verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. All of these things that I face are not here because God wants me to be overcome. They're here because God wants me to grow. And He's letting it happen because He knows we can handle it. And I just need to sit back and lean on God and say, I can do anything for another day. And learn from it. And I'll grow. One more thing. I know we like three-point sermons because those are a lot faster. But there are, in fact, I could have put a few more in here, but I thought, no, by this time they'll be sick and tired of hearing about me running. But one more. I've learned that when I'm not doing what I should, I get mad at those who remind me. You can be assured that if I back off on my discipline for running and eating well, that Marita and I are going to have a fight. Now let me explain to you how this works. Marita, sometime during the day will say, did you run today? Or we'll be sitting around the meal table and she'll say, should you really be eating that? And I'll look at her dead in the eye and I'll say, you mind your own business. And you know what she'll do? She'll remind me of point number two and say, wait a minute, I'm a companion that's supposed to help you. Remember, you asked me to help you. And then I'll remind her of point number three. Look, I've got to have the self-discipline and it's none of your business. You get out. And then it gets what it goes from there? I mean, it's just bad from there on out for the rest of the day. Why does that happen? Well, it happens for a couple of reasons. Number one, she's made me feel guilty. And instead of just sitting there in my guilt, I'd much rather feel angry at her than guilty about myself. And so that's what I do. Number two, I've also learned that if I just really let her have it, guess what she'll do? She'll be quiet. And she'll quit reminding me of how awful I'm being. I've also learned, thirdly, that tomorrow when I eat this same thing or I don't run, she won't say anything about it then because she's learned. Until one day when I get another boost of self-discipline, I say, "Hun, i I'm really sorry. No matter how angry I get, will you please make sure I get up and go run? No matter how angry I get, will you please make sure I don't eat those french fries? And, 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 you know, that goes pretty well until I have another day when I just get mad at it and blow up. But I've learned it's the same way with Christianity. When I'm having a spiritual low and I'm not doing the things I ought to, when I'm not reading my Bible like I should or when I'm not praying the way I ought to, when I'm not inviting folks, when I'm not studying with people, when I've been giving in to temptation and somebody brings it up, I get mad at them. I get upset with them. Whether they're condemning me or they're just talking about it. I get upset. Why? Because I want to justify myself and I want to get them to be quiet and quit making me feel guilty. And so I start to justify myself to me and to them. Oh, they don't know what I've been going through. They don't understand my situation. Oh, if they knew what I had been through, they'd understand why I do this and why it's alright for me. And really what they need to do is just get out of my business. Because it's not any of theirs. Tell you what I've learned. Is that in that situation, John chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 applies to me. In John chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they, that they have been done in God. When I'm not doing what's right. I don't like the light, I prefer the darkness. And I want my deeds exposed. I prefer to cover them up and let them be hidden because that makes me feel better about myself. I've learned that if I start getting upset with people when all they're doing is telling me how I ought to behave and what they're saying I know is right, then probably I'm sinning. And I need to take a good, long, hard look at myself and straighten up and come to the light These are things I've learned from running. I hope you realize that as I said earlier, I've been an off, on-again, off-again runner for about seven years. And with running, that's not so bad. But I hope none of us will be on-again, off-again Christians. I need to remember what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. I haven't preached this sermon to encourage you to get out and start running, even though I do think that good physical discipline will help you even in your spiritual life. But this had not been to encourage you to start running. I just wanted you to see some things, and I hope it's been helpful to you, as we strive to be stronger, more faithful Christians, growing in Christ. Because godliness is profitable for all.